You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 13, covering Devil in the Dark, Errand of Mercy, and The Alternative Factor, with special guest Mark Bosco. All right, we have yet another guest here with us this week. Uh, once again, joining us here now. Hey. With this thing. Hi, Bob. Oh, hi, hi. Hello. <laughs> I really needed somebody to save me from that. I would have <laughs> just gone on and on for uh, hours that way. Yes, we have uh, a new guy here <laughs> who is someone I know. This help. My, yeah, help. <laughs> Um, How's it going? Mark Bosco, a.k.a. Bob, a uh, friend of mine for, uh, what, 20 years or something now? Some ridiculous yeah, thing like that. I, I stopped counting. Yeah, I uh, I never do. I'm ever vigilant. <laughs> Anywho, uh, you have specifically handpicked this particular episode you wanted to do. and uh, I have. I love it. So tell us about it, won't you? It's, uh, it is the devil in the dark. That's the, that's the name of the episode. Yes. I, I apologize for the crudity of my summary. I haven't had time to paint it or make it to scale. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. <laughs> it looks great, Bob. So, uh, ominous music blares as we approach the planet Genesis 6. A group of men in colorful pastel outfits walk past an awesome matte painting to leave a new man at a security post in the mine, watching out for something that's been killing men for months. Don't worry, Schmitter, I'm sure you'll be fine here all alone while we go off as a safe, large group. Suddenly, screaming, and the men return to find Schmitter burned to a crisp. Of course. <laughs> the Enterprise arrives, arrives, arrives to answer the, <laughs> answer the distress call and to see why Starfleet isn't getting their usual shipments of per diem, which has apparently become something critical to the running of planets in the future. Bones examines what little there was left of the body and concludes that a highly corrosive acid is causing the deaths. Ed Apple, a miner in a hot pink jumpsuit with a chip on his shoulder, notes that his phaser didn't affect it. So they might try a phaser 2, whatever that is. Kirk asks Spock if his tricorder tri could be modified to detect abnormal life functions. Again, whatever the hell that means. Of course, while we were talking about the problem, the creatures burned a hole in a four-inch steel door and stolen the coolant pump for the 46 Ford pickup that runs the entire facility. <laughs> Enough deaths haven't occurred yet, so Spock, Bones, and Kirk hang out in the break room some more, chatting about the possibility of silicon-based life, or as Bones puts it, silicone-based life. <laughs> Bones insists that it's impossible, like humans living in water. And Spock is crazy for suggesting such a thing, but Kirk comes to Spock's rescue, saying he'd read something about that in Popular Science a few years ago. <laughs> Spock is fascinated by a spherical dust weight in the room. Thousands of them at the lower level. These spheres. Hmm. But Bones threatens to taunt him a second time, so he decides to say nothing. Kirk gives the Marine Sergeant speech from every bad war movie ever to pep up the uh, troop, uh, you know, security officers, red shirts. The uh, red shirts peel off in formation, prepared to face their inevitable doom. It's a Jimmy! Don't look in that hole! <laughs> He doesn't shoot, he doesn't run, he just stands there, paralyzed by fear, staring at the creature until it makes him a greasy smear. Wait, did you just hey. write that poem? Or did that just rhyme by, <laughs> that was beautiful. by coincidence? <laughs> that was actually coincidence, but oh. I'm going to take credit for it anyway. Very nice. <laughs> Kirk and Spock go on to discover a tunnel that was created just moments ago. A creature appears! A renegade man-witch! Shoot it! 
They do, slicing off a piece of the manwich, and it runs away down a new tunnel. Spock thinks it might be the last one of its race, and then to kill it would be a crime against science. But Kirk says, Spock, I know you like your science crap, but per diem is much more important. The creature must die. <laughs> Kirk gives another pep talk and directs more security guards to concentrate their phaser fire towards what appears to be its head, which is, I guess, opposite the piece of men which they lopped off earlier. Kirk mentions that they might not have enough phasers for everyone in the mining facility, but the miners say, well, then we'll use clubs. We're staying. Kirk and Spock separate to search the tunnels. The tunnel caves in, trapping Kirk. Spock quickens his pace. Meanwhile, a melty hole appears inside a cave wall. Very cool effect, by the way. As the manwitch melts its way through. Kirk, like all the others, stares at the manwitch, neither running nor shooting at it. He does, however, decide to sit down and start talking to it. The manwitch isn't quite sure how to react to this. Eventually, Spock makes his way in and uses his mind mill's powers to find out that the thing calls itself a horda, that it's pissed that the miners are destroying its eggs, and that it thinks Mr. Spock's ears are really cute. <laughs> it also learned to speak English and etches no kill eye into the bedrock. Bones bandages the horda up with some concrete, and a deal is struck so the thousands of baby, baby horda will help the miners dig and become fabulously wealthy. The day is saved, and Mr. Spock is becoming more human every day. <laughs> This actually was the first appearance of that. I was so excited. Like, I thought it was going to be one of those things like, uh, beat me up, Scotty, or I'm not going back, Jim. But uh, <laughs> he actually said it. I was so happy. Yeah. And I, like, cheered when we heard that. <laughs> Captain, I see no reason to stand here and be insulted. <laughs> that was great, too. Yeah, it was. Um, kind of strange timing that we watched this episode about unconventional life uh, being based on uh, chemicals that we're not used to. When NASA made their big announcement this uh, this week about... Uh, Finding a, a microbe based on uh, arsenic. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, Which was really cool. It was. It was very, uh, but it was very cool. Total. It was, it was, arsenic was replacing phosphorus instead of a carbon, right. replacing carbon, but still, yeah, I mean, very, but it's very the, cool uh, stuff. Unconventional biological chemistry. And it was, uh, it was a neat coincidence that, uh, mm. actual science was sort of reflecting this, uh, this crazy sci fi thing. Yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah, I, you know, I, I got to admit, uh, when, when we approached a few of our uh, closer friends about appearing on the show and, and asked them to choose an episode, you chose this one. And, mm -hmm. and I didn't say it. I didn't want to be a dick, but it was like, really <laughs> that one? Cause I don't really have any dis distinct memories of this, but watching it, this is a really good episode. Oh, yeah. Totally. It's, 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 it's I think it's maybe the most perfect episode, at least of the, of the first season where wow. you get, you get the, the, the triumvirate of, uh, Kirk, Spock and Bones. They're there pretty much alone. Not, you know, they, you know, they're just occasional red shirt, but there's no like other really major characters. And, uh, you know, they have the, the whole thing with, with, uh, you know, the creature and they're, they're learning about it. And, uh, you get the, you know, bones saying, uh, I'm not a doctor. I'm something else. <laughs> and you get, you get the, you know, you're becoming more human every day. It's just like everything that's the great elements of, of the series that come together in this one episode. Yeah. And, and thematically, you definitely get, I mean, there is some action. There is some chasing through the tunnels, mm -hmm. but for the most part, it's very cerebral. It's very similar in, in tone, I would say, like to the cage. And I'm kind of surprised that they slipped this by the network. Like it's kind of a thinker. It's kind of a, you know, it's different than us and Kirk's first reaction isn't to shoot it. Well, it kind of is, but when he, when he comes face <laughs> totally to face, with, when he comes face to face it. with it, his, his reaction isn't to shoot it. It's to sit down and talk to it. Like you said, and, uh, yeah, it definitely so, feels a lot more <laughs> Star Trek. Eating a good rock lately. Yeah. Hey, how's it going? So, uh, what, 
what now? What do we do? Yeah. Do I just sit here so and talk to you? What do the females of your species look like? <laughs> oh, those are eggs. So you're ah, ah right. interesting. <laughs> yeah, there was um, at one point there was a rather unfl- well, I say on an unflattering angle of the horta. But, you know, <laughs> is there it, a um, non-flattering? Wait, the, the best non-unflattering? Way, yes. The best way I found to describe what the Horta looks like is you take Barkley from Sesame Street, the big dog made of mm-hmm. yarn, and take all his bones out. <laughs> That's basically totally. the Horta. Um, but there's a, there's a, there's an angle where it looks like you see an orifice with sort of a star-shaped um, motif. And, uh, <laughs> yep. It was a little unpleasant. It looked like we were uh, we were looking at butthole cam and... Uh, <laughs> It's like, ew, I guess that's where the eggs are meant to come out. I don't know. I thought that was where they had shot it. Where they, like, they sliced off the the manwich slice. No, no, that was its pustule, which was really gross. (laughs) Oh, so, Mm. Bob, what you're saying is that they ripped it a new ass? (laughs) Yes. Sorry, you set that one up. I had to. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, Spock also says, not not life as we know it twice. Well, there, were, there were a few times where, where Matt and I turned to each other and started quoting lyrics from uh, Star Trek and because half of them come from this episode, I think. Yeah, totally. The guy who wrote that only watched the one episode. <laughs> That's like, oh. There was the one guy you mentioned. Uh, I thought his outfit was a little more purple, but uh, I'm, I'm slightly colorblind, so it may be more pink. I, but I was referring to him as the purple haircut. <laughs> he had this crazy shaggy, like, Pete Rose mop on his head. Oh, yeah. And this bright purple or pink like uh, lavender i suppose we could say uh mm. <laughs> jumpsuit the and, future yeah and th- this guy was uh the one you know kill it <laughs> grab our clubs let's get the th-. and it's, wow you you must uh you must really have something to prove he's like a boy named sue i was very much i was very much reminded of the end of beauty and the beast <laughs> twas twas purple haircut killed the beast yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you also mentioned that they were mining per diem, like a daily stipend of cash, I suppose. I thought yeah. that's what they said. I, I don't know. That's, a, that's, that's at least a little less stupid than un- unobtainium. I mean, yeah, I was just going to say. That, that's a whole other thing. I, I've actually worked military supply, and, and unobtainium is a joke. And I think someone uh, making that movie read that and, and thought it was a real thing. But <laughs> that is what we tell you when it's made of something we can't get. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> anyway. Oh, I wasn't used that the Spock basically had this all figured out. Like he was, he was pondering those those egg things on the on the desk and everything. Um, five minutes into the episode, he he had it more or less figured out. You know, uh, uh, set the tricorders for uh, silicon and the you know, and mm. most of the rest of the episode is him trying to convince everyone else that he's right. Yep. Yep. While not letting Bones yell at him. Well, that also. <laughs> yeah, he was kind of wuss about that. Uh, speaking of bones, he um he had some pretty great lines in here too. There was one uh, where he fixed the like he was convinced he couldn't fix the horda. Like you know, Kirk's like pushing him, come on, come on, do something. I can't fix it. Yeah, I don't. What, <laughs> what is it? I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. Yeah, <laughs> but then he does it, and he's get this delightful grin on his face, and he's like, "I'm beginning to think I could cure a rainy day, Jim." <laughs> that was great. I love you, bones. <laughs> Bob, we've uh, we, we've been uh, commenting throughout the se- the uh, the first season here. I'm I'm curious mm-hmm. if you agree. Bones has definitely emerged as the most likable, just fun, relatable character in, oh, in the totally. series overall. And you know, we all look back and think that, but actually seeing it in action and seeing week after week him just being so charming and funny and uh, yeah, 
it's really nice to get that evidence and to see. Yeah, but Forrest Kelly was a damn fine uh, actor, I think. Mm. Oh yeah, absolutely. That was that was a lot of fun. Uh, there there was of course the uh, the requisite Ghostbusters moment where uh, the horde is looking at you. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's same exact well, staging and everything. Kirk's mm-hmm. got his tr- like he slowly pulls the communicator out so mm-hmm. as not to startle it. <laughs> We, we have to, we, is I, I've been scanning. I think I think I know where it is, Captain. Oh, I know exactly <laughs> where it is. It's ten feet in front of me. He's looking at me, Spock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was. I mean, we both simultaneously I think said he that. He can I'm, hear you. Quick <laughs> <laughs> little spot, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Um, I, I do like Spock's reluctance to meld with it um, because it's in such tremendous uh, agony and. Uh, mm-hmm. And and Spur- and Co- Kirk's just <laughs> cock. Kirk is just like uh, <laughs> I said, Spurk, and then I said cock. Very nice. <laughs> you get Friday in there, man. Good Jesus, job. good job, brain. Um, Kirk's like, go, go on, go on. What's wrong with you? Get back in there and mind rape that weird thing. That's an order. That's it's a very personal experience, Jim. I shut up. Get in there. The mind Here's your magic Vulcan magic. Look, we we got a problem to fix here, and uh, that's what the mind melt is for, right? Well, like first he tries it without touching it, and and he's unable to like get, I guess, the normal amount of information that he can get. All he gets is pain, pain, <laughs> and then and then he actually touches it. He's like, oh, it's really intelligent, and it likes my ears. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, you, you people might think that uh, Bob threw a joke in there in his in his summer, but no, he, uh, Spock specifically calls out the fact that this thing likes his ears. <laughs> It's, it's obviously, you know, has uh, impeccable taste. Oh, clearly. <laughs> but yeah, I remember this next time Jim makes fun of me. <laughs> well, the Horda liked them. Yeah. I, I believe it might have been in the novels. I don't think it was the animated series where they actually had a Horta crew member. Like, uh, Yeah, it was the novel. <laughs> like five years on where they've learned to communicate with them and all that. And yep. But they had to get rid of it because it kept melting holes in the hull of the, <laughs> <laughs> the ship. Uh, they put it on the hood. Nobody wants them. Nobody wants those guys. <laughs> um, I was curious though. They left the Horda behind, you know, to to help with the mining, which is actually kind of a clever idea because it mm. it naturally digs tunnels. Um, but how are they expected to communicate with it unless there's a Vulcan miner who can meld with it? Like they haven't really established a way for them to talk to it yet. Well, Spock, well, I mean, I mean, Spock talked I to it at the, at the end. I, I guess, you know, he just kind of gave it instructions and it'll just run. Teach your children yeah. English. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Burn it into the rock. And not that tech speak shit either. Not this no, no kill I. Come on. Full sentences, please. <laughs> teach it semaphore. <laughs> <laughs> they could put on an underground uh, production of Wuthering Heights. That would be great. It'd be awesome. <laughs> It'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> But yeah, Bob, you are absolutely right. This is this is a quintessential Star Trek episode, and and definitely, I would say the strongest one so far with the with the core three, as you say, and and they all have something to do. Like mm-hmm. it's not just that they're all there and they're all being friends. They they all have professional like roles. You know, like Spock gets to be science man, and Kirk gets to be the commander, and and Bones gets to do some doctor stuff, and it's just very simple, yeah. basic stuff with the three of them. That was very cool. And then at the end, we all learn a valuable lesson that man is the devil in the dark. <laughs> Turns out it's man. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anything else on this one? Or are you guys ready to push forward? Uh, I, the only other thing I, I noted was that I think that uh, now uh, with hearing uh, Spock's 
Spock as Horta kind of sing-songy voice that, that's uh, very delightful that I, I think I know now where the, the voice of the alien guys in Galaxy Quest came from. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I never noticed that before. Very cool. You must save us. <laughs> Excellent. Matt, you got anything else or are you ready to... Uh, I think that's it. Other than the ridiculousness of trying to defeat a rock-based monster by wailing on it with a pipe. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, clearly they had mined a, a fortune in uh, precious stones. And yeah, they, they traded, traded all it all for a stout club. club. I don't know why that's become our go-to quote this season. But that really just keeps coming back up for some for some reason. I don't know why. All right, on to mine, which was Errand of Mercy. Um, so Bob's episode and mine were both quite good, and they were both written by the same guy, Gene Kuhn. Henceforth, he shall be known as the good Gene. So in this one, we get the first appearance of the Klingons, or as some people insist on pronouncing it, Klingons. <laughs> Their actual first on-screen appearance involves them appearing from out of nowhere and shooting at the Enterprise. So we immediately see the difference between Klingons and Romulans. None of the sneaking around business with these guys. So the Enterprise is heading to Organia, a planet full of goofy peaceniks that the Klingons apparently have their eyes on conquering. So Kirk tries to conquer, uh, colonize it first. The Federation are good guys and noble and all that. Not like those evil godless Klingons. Mm-hmm. Oh, then the evil godless Klingons show up, and their commander, the actually pretty badass Kor, takes control of things. Kirk and Spock play terrorist, Kor threatens retaliation, then the idiotic Organians reveal themselves as, wait for it, that's right, beings of pure energy who prevent the conflict from escalating. Wow, that imposing your moral will on an alien culture shit isn't so funny when someone's doing it to you, is it, Kirk? <laughs> so yeah, first, uh, first, first appearance of the Klingons, I was... Uh, Fairly impressed. I mean, we knew what to expect mm-hmm. you know, with their pseudo blackface and their Fu Manchus and so forth, but they're, they're still pretty all right, I thought. I was pretty impressed by how much of what the Klingons will eventually become is even is there already with uh, with Core. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. The, he's the very much is, like the look. Is I mean, he's than, clearly prototypical, but you know, yeah, the goatee. Yeah, and and like there's there is some sort of the the honor posturing. Like they're not just evil. They're, they're yeah. just a, a warlike culture is all. Mm-hmm. Of course, the rest of them are just shoving people around, sure. getting drunk. Yeah, but Kor himself, the the, the actual guy, um, and and the art and the actor's name escapes me at the moment, unfortunately. Uh, it's not Michael. Ans- Is it Michael Ansara? Uh, I always confuse. There were three original Klingons. It was him and John Kolakos and the other guy. Um, they they all Klang. came. <laughs> yes. No, it's it's Kang, Kor, and Koloff because they all came back in DS Nine. Mm-hmm. Wait, who's Kodos? No, Kodos is the executioner. No, this no. is my sister, Kodos. Hello. <laughs> it sounds like a Klingon. <laughs> yes. Um, but he was, I mean, this guy was the very first, and he had that very just great 60s villain presence. Uh, we'll, we'll see when we get to my quote of the episode. He's just got that very almost super villainy, you know, mm-hmm. over the top. Mm-hmm. But but not so far over the top that you don't buy him either. I, I really yeah. bought him as as Kirk's equal, and it was, it was great. Do we see him again? Because I think he'd be an awesome reoccurring villain. He, I know he reprises the role in the animated series, but I don't know if we get any recurring Klingons in the actual live action mm. series. <laughs> was that the episode with more more troubles, more troubles? <laughs> no, actually, that was. I believe they got back the Klingon captain from Trouble with Tribbles for that one. Oh wow! But I may, I may be, I may be messing this all up. And uh, if you know, if you're a bigger Star Trek dork than I, uh, get a life, would you? Yeah, congrats. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know the guy reprises the role once in the animated series and then at least once more in Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. But the, I get the three guys mixed up beyond that, so don't don't quote me on any of that. Um, 
I, I enjoyed this one. Um, I found the Arganians annoying, but I think they were. Oh yeah. <laughs> They're so holier than thou. Yeah. Oh, and oh, we don't all... believe in violence or whatever. Yeah, they were all smiling the whole time, and mm-hmm. core, core comments on that a couple of times. You could just hear the granola crunching in the yeah. background. <laughs> well, but that's the weird thing is they're all like sixty. Yeah. It's, so I mean, <laughs> they're, in, they're old hippies. Yeah, but there were no aging hippies in 1967. They were all young, so it was, it was kind of a weird juxtaposition there. Yeah, Gene Roddenberry's view of the future. <laughs> <laughs> When the hippies get old, this is what they're going to be like. Pure energy. Yep. And he was right. <laughs> but Core uh, and Kirk had a couple of really great – I mean, there were, there were a few uh, were not so different, you and I, because you got to do that. But right. but there's when they're standing in front of the Organian Council, they give each other a look, and it's like, oh, these guys – fucking these fucking guys. <laughs> you you want to fight me, right? Because I want to fight you. God damn it. What is wrong with these people? You know, it was, just, it was a great moment of – like, we just want to kill each other. What's the problem here? Why are you making this so hard? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I really enjoyed the, the Cold War allegory of it, the whole, you mm. know. Like, I mean, obviously, this is a stand-in for Vietnam. There's there's two opposing sides demonizing each other to the to the people who don't want them there. And, you know, it's nice. They even went so far as to call uh, refer to the soldiers as sort of uh, specialists, I think they called them. Huh. Mm. Which is what they did in Vietnam. They called them, like, advisors and specialists to, to cover up the fact that we were actually fighting there. And and Kirk did that. He's like, no, we'll, we'll bring in some Federation specialists, and we'll, uh, you know, yeah. I, I didn't quite make that connection. Yeah, it's it's just um, I, I'm I mean I'm not like an expert or anything. It comes from watching Oliver Stone movies over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> I also really enjoyed the. I mean, I always do really enjoy the uh, restored uh, Blu-ray effects. Uh, in, oh yeah. In the brief time we have uh, Sulu back on the ship. Facing down the Klingons, there's like five fucking birds of prey bearing down. That was so cool. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Which suddenly makes a lot more sense that, that mm. they'd be, you know, uh, a little uh, trepidatious. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> it's it's one of those situations that we'll run into this again in the next episode where the Enterprise is just out there on its own, blowing in the wind. And uh, you guys, you guys got this. We'll just, we'll just stay back here and see what happens. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like Matt said, the, uh, the look of the Klingons, I mean, it's obviously kind of crude. They didn't have a lot of money, but it's weird looking at their, their basic uniforms. They are essentially preserved in, in like the movies and next gen. Yep. They're just made to look a lot better. I mean, you got the sash and you got the sort of like silver and black and brown kind of, uh, motif to it. And yep. uh, the, uh, the Fu Manchu and the little beard. Yeah. I mean, you can tell that these are Klingons, even though they're not really Klingons yet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, there's a really odd bit where, uh, Kirk's using the, the time-tested metaphor of sheep and wolves. Uh-huh. And then for some reason, Kor starts in about sheep and tigers. <laughs> the sheep's natural predator. Yeah, I, I didn't I, you know why we suddenly stopped using the, the, the well-established metaphor of wolves for the, you know, the aggressors. Nope, now it's well, tigers. Well, I think that's, uh, that actually speaks to your, the, you know, it being a corollary for the Vietnam War that actually... You know, the like sheep and the tigers would be a more common predator in Asia than it would be in America. I suppose that makes sense, but no. it just seemed weird that they were using one metaphor and then switched to another. True. I don't want to be a wolf. I'm a tiger. <laughs> we don't he, was, have- he was he was speaking about the metaphor in the original Klingon. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> well, that could be, but then wouldn't it be like targs and? The- <laughs> the, but I mean, you know, overall, I I enjoyed just the the basic. I mean. It becomes a cliche. We've run into this a few times where we can't really judge this as a cliche yet because it's the first time. Yeah. But it feels like we've seen this story a hundred times already, even though 
chronologically we haven't yet. Mm-hmm. This is sort of the first occurrence of uh, some holier-than-thou, you know, powerful creature coming in and saying, stop fighting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, I thought it was good. I enjoyed it. Well, it turned out they were only children. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out it's man, again. Yes. It's kind of sad that we didn't see any of them, them stopping the war on screen. Yeah. It was just going to, uh, yeah, we, we did it we, they had, 35 they minutes us. ago. <laughs> they even they even say, yeah, we went to uh, the, the Klingon homeworld, and they didn't call out Earth by name, which is odd. We went to the Federation <laughs> homeworld and, and stopped your war. Couldn't we see any of that? No. <laughs> all right. You can trust me. I'm an old man in a nightgown. <laughs> well, all right, then. You say so. But there was, I mean, there was a little bit of padding, like a little bit of running back here and then running back there, like. Like they tend to do in the middle of most episodes. Yep. Break out of your uh, cell to run back to your cell. Now I am over here. Yeah. <laughs> but overall, I really enjoyed like the, the core and Kirk facing off and the we're not so different, you and I, and, and all that sort of thing. <clears throat> I, I could have done with maybe this, this planet being a little more alien. Yeah, it was a, another sort of, well, it was planet of old people in small houses. Yeah. <laughs> planet, planet of the backlot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, they visit, I mean, they've been in the backlot system for 20 weeks well, now. I mean. A lot of those. Funny that. Mm. Yeah. But this one in particular felt like they, they beamed down to a Ren Fest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Spock I mean, had a really sweet cape. He did. Yeah, he I, did. I actually enjoyed the cape. I did not like the fuzzy boots that they had. I could. I were those like Uggs? <laughs> no, they were. They were like big moon boots, and then they were strapped to their feet with these like twine or something. It was just duct tape. Yeah, I didn't really get what they were going for there. I, I do <laughs> like how Kirk and Spock were supposed to be in disguise as you know, like natives or you know, uh, off planet merchants or whatever. Mm. Uh, but mm-hmm. they still kept them in their colors. Like Spock was still in blue, and, and Kirk was still in gold. I thought. That oh was yeah, that was cool. I didn't notice I, that, but now that you mentioned. I gotta tell you, Spock was undercover as a Vulcan merchant. I would not want to haggle with a Vulcan merchant. <laughs> I'll say that right now. No. <laughs> that, there's a there's a great short story in that, like uh, the fir- first contact between the Vulcans and the Ferengi. <laughs> that is inequitable. That could be a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll give you 15. No, that is logical. No, you the will not. Parts and wear alone. <laughs> There was uh, something Matt pointed out that, that absolutely true and would have gotten by me had he not pointed this out. Um, unfortunately, again, this happened off screen, but uh, they, they tortured Spock with this like uh, brain, what was a brain melting device, brain reading yeah. device, something like that. <laughs> we call it the brain shredder. Yeah. And um, <laughs> not only did he survive it, like it's supposed to wipe your, your brain clean after they get all the secrets out of it, all the delicious secrets. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And just leave the candy shell. But not only did it not wipe his mind, but they still learned so little that they didn't realize he was Spock of Starfleet. Yeah, that's badass. Yeah, the fact that he completely maintained his cover story, his his disguise as a merchant, while they ran him through this brainwashing machine was pretty uh, pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's Spock. That means, if you think about it, he had to, like, just make up on the fly an entire lifetime. Yep. Not only that, that but Vulcans never lie. So, I mean, yeah. you know. That is so cool. Yep. And hmm. they did kind of gloss over it, unfortunately. <laughs> You're great, Spock. Yep. <laughs> I, I I did enjoy this one overall. Like I say, a little bit of padding in the middle, but for the most mm. part, I enjoyed it. Nice, nice character piece. Nice, uh, definite, you know, we're playing in Roddenberry's world kind of thing, but he didn't write it, so that helped. No. So it's good. 
Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> like I said, made me made me realize how how decent Gene Coon was. Yes. Um, good old good Gene. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's all I got on this one. You guys got anything else? Nope. Nope. All right then. On to maps. The alternative factor. Uh, yes. Okay. So while the Enterprise is surveying some planet or other, the ship shakes and everything on her blinks as the universe briefly ceases to exist. When it comes back, some guy has appeared on the planet. Kirk and Spock go down to check it out and meet Lazarus, a crazy man with a wispy beard who is prone to falling off of rocks. They also meet his much cooler ship, which looks like George Jetson should be piloting it, and which I instantly began to covet. Kirk and Spock return Lazarus to the Enterprise and discover that the ship's dilithium has been dra- drained because when the universe ceases to exist, it also kills all the batteries. Also, Star Trek, <laughs> also Starfleet has gone DEFCON 1, invasion status. The blink was felt all over the universe, and Starfleet's withdrawn all its other ships. So, you know, good luck, Enterprise. We're all counting on you. <laughs> Go save everything. Lazarus says he's chasing a monster, but nobody can find it, so Kirk logically assumes that Lazarus is a dirty jerk-ass liar. Then the universe blinks again. Lazarus begins blinking back and forth. Each time a trippy action sequence appears and two men lit black light fight it out in front of the screen. Lazarus switches between being battle damaged and perfectly well. Meanwhile, Spock has discovered a rip in the universe, which is somehow linked to the drained lithium. Uh, Lazarus demands to, be, demands to be given the crystals, and then he steals them. Kirk confronts Lazarus, who reveals he is a time traveler and that the planet, and the planet they're orbiting is the future of his homeworld. Lazarus is swapping places with another evil Lazarus from another antimatter universe, and if the two touch, the entire universe will be destroyed. Meanwhile, evil Lazarus has stolen the dilithium and beamed down to the surface, where Kirk follows him and is transported to the alternate universe. There, Kirk meets good Lazarus. I think. This is getting a little confusing. Who explains that his people discovered a way to travel between universes, then, then he met where he met another Lazarus who tried to kill him, or the universe. Anyway, it's bad. Kirk lures evil Lazarus into his awesome ship. The Enterprise destroys it, which also destroys the ship in the other universe, where it seals the two Lazari in an eternal struggle between the universe. Unlike in the Mirror Universe episode, where evil versions of classic characters have goatees, this alternate universe is populated by people with wispy beards who, like I had in, thir- in my third year of high school. <laughs> I, I liked the, the concept of this. Like I liked the idea of an antimatter universe and all that. Yeah. I think this is pulled off really not great. Yeah, this is, it feels like another one where they weren't entirely clear on what they were trying to do or um, how to go about it. Yeah, and and uh, they cut to that weird uh, sequence between universes so many times. Well, I found out that uh, there was originally supposed to be a subplot where uh, where Lazarus hooked up with uh, uh, what was her name, uh, Lieutenant Masters. Oh, the uh, the hot chick. Yeah, the hot black chick. And the studio had a problem with that, so they had to cut out that entire subplot and fill it up with uh, and with two silhouettes fighting and Lazarus falling off cliffs. Well, that that explains (laughs) like the twenty minutes of effect shots in a fifty-minute show. Yeah, and twenty minutes of him flying off cliffs. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Jeez. Up down I go. (laughs) Yeah, because that's what audiences. Look out, Captain. (laughs) That's what audiences would much rather see than a man kissing a black woman. Yeah. Heaven forbid. Uh, yeah, she actually may have been, and you know, we've we've kind of kept an eye on this throughout the season. Um, the the most capable female uh, crewman since uh, I don't know Helen Noel, maybe. Oh yeah, she yeah, was great. Totally. And uh, I mean, you know, no uh, no condescension, no you nope. know, well, you're a girl, you can't do this. She just they're doing her job, and they didn't make a big deal out of it, and just exactly the way it should be. Yeah, and she yep. was hot, so that helped. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're you're right. They they definitely um weren't really clear what they were doing with the whole antimatter like 
It just it felt like a bit of a mess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there was some good stuff in this episode. There really was. That ship, for example. Oh, that ship was amazing. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was very cool. And all three of us just simultaneously jumped on, you know, the bubble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised they didn't fold it up into a briefcase at one point. <laughs> da, 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 da. But it's because you so rarely see a practical, like, ship on the set or on location or whatever. Like, mm. they, you know, it's usually a model or, or part of a painting or whatever to actually have the physical ship there. I think made it extra cool. It looked like a real thing, and you know, and it was it was well designed too. But uh, it, it was just neat to see there's a ship crashed in what looks like real ground and not some paper mache. Yeah, and, and we can walk up. We can get into it. Yeah, look at that. We can find a corn. Probably oh, bought it. <laughs> Wrong episode. <laughs> what was weird is they, then they would cut to the alternate universe where uh, where it's night, of course, because everything's opposite. Yeah. Um. And also Lazarus is a woman. Yeah, and black and gay and dead. Yes. Um, <laughs> so those are all the opposites of the things that he is. Um, hey, maybe that lieutenant is actually him. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Wait, the- what's it? See, I, see, that confused me too. I thought she had like been killed at one point in the episode, and then like three scenes later, there she is again. Fine. I thought he had to a- hire that dead woman back. <laughs> I thought he had a hypospray. Like, I thought he just shot Yeah, I, I thought that too. Yeah. But Maybe I just wasn't paying attention. I, it, that, I mean, we, you know, when we're watching these for review, sometimes we miss little details because we're, you know, trying to make <laughs> little, jokes and stuff. Little details, yeah. like whether the characters are alive yeah, like or what, dead. What, like what is happening. Right. Yeah, look, I got jokes to make, okay? I got a Jetson, <laughs> sweet Jeffers, Jetsons reference to make here. I don't have time to pay attention to the plot. Um, no, but it was weird when we flipped to the, to the alternate universe. Um, I actually thought the night thing was cool. But for some reason, that was on a soundstage. <laughs> Apparently, the alternate universe is much less realistic than our own. <laughs> I guess. A soundstage <laughs> that doubled for the same location where they actually went on. The, I mean, it looked like the same place that Kirk fought the Gorn. Yeah. But it was still like a nice, you know, rocky, desolate kind of place. Yeah, but it was it was night there. So they got, they obviously couldn't shoot on location at night. That would require, you know, lighting technology that they didn't have in the 60s. But they, they did have day for night back then, didn't they? Yeah, yeah sure. that always looks good. Well, I've seen yeah. that. In, oh, well, come on. Looks good. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the superimposition they, of the same space shot for 20 minutes didn't look great either, but you know. They turn down the brightness and make everything blue. <laughs> <laughs> look, I've seen Corman movies. I know they had this technology in 1967. <laughs> and I know because they're Corman movies, they didn't cost much. <laughs> Deductive reasoning, people. <laughs> yeah, um... But I mean, there was there was a lot of fun stuff in it. Um, I was a little disappointed in the uh, in the in the spruced up HD version that they didn't make that effect. I don't know more interesting. Or oh yeah, the um, the beaming between universe thing. Yeah, the you know the negative shot and the, the, the just like the I said, spinning newspaper. Yeah, the superimposed picture of that one galaxy or whatever it was. It was just like the same thing over and over again. Yeah, I thought they might have made it a little more clear what was going on with the CG, but I guess they really were trying not to be intrusive with those. Uh, with the with the restored effects, like they're trying to stay true to the originals, so yeah, and it, they also had a budget, fun. you know. So they're they're spending so much money, you know, redoing the Botany Bay, then you know maybe they they choose their battles and they don't have the, the money to do the yeah. Botany Bay, yeah, oh, no, Botany. <laughs> that's a trap. I can't not do that. <laughs> the uh, the psychedelic fight scenes actually reminded me a lot of. Did you either of you guys ever see the hilarious House of Frankenstein? Frightenstein, I think it was it actually called? called the Hilarious House. Yes. No. 
It was a kid's show. Um, I used to watch when I was a kid. When I was a kid, it was all about horror, and it used to have the Wolfman dancing in front of a of a psychedelic uh, background. It completely reminded me of that. <laughs> there were a few of his transformations. What was thing? What's up? Oh, I, I was going to say was the, the thing in uh, what was the thing in Superman? Like the the negative zone or whatever oh, the called. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're in, in Superman. They're film. imprisoned in that glass plate. Right. <laughs> That's what it looked. Oh like. yeah. It I'll just send Lazarus off into space. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Occasionally, his transformations reminded me a bit of the uh, the Hulk transformations in the old Bill Bixby Hulk show. Mm. <laughs> they would do like a close up of his eye, and then everyone they would be really tense, and then suddenly he'd be a different guy. Like you're making me angry, Captain Kirk. <laughs> and like he was green. Be... Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Was, you wish. Well, it was it was it was on that scale, but it was just a smaller element of his physicality that his his uh, goatee would get you know more wispy or more <laughs> strong and and bushy <laughs> depending right. on which character he was. Oh, and they had to they had to do that thing that they always do with doubles where they injured one. Mm. <laughs> where we've seen this previously in the Enemy Within, where uh, Yeoman Rand scratched Evil Kirk, so he you know you could tell the difference between them. Yeah, because uh, right. audiences had, are stupid. Yeah, in this case, he had a head wound. Mm. And so he had a little uh, weird asbestos bandage over his head, so we could mm. tell. Uh, it was shiny. Yeah, it was very, very Yes, shiny. it was. Um, <laughs> like audi- everything in sick bay. Audiences apparently are stupid because the, 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 the lighting and the music cues and the crouching, like the every way that they use to show us that someone's evil apparently isn't enough, and we need uh, something. Evil people apparently walk very close to the ground. <laughs> it's, it's important, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> there, there's a bit where Kirk and Spock are trying to figure out what's going on, and there's some huge leaps in logic. They're like, um, uh, al- alternate, alternate universe, uh, uh, through a, through a hole. No, a door. Yes, he came through a door from an alternate unit. Yes, that's it. Antibody, of course. A woman from Russia is going to slip on a banana peel and break her neck. <laughs> <laughs> Holy Adam West, that is what it felt like. <laughs> Exactly it. It's a Riddler episode. Fuck old chum. We've got it. <laughs> Captain, please stop calling me old chum. <laughs> Never. Yeah. Um. Actually, the Jinx. guy played. <laughs> you owe me a Coke, Matt. <laughs> actually, the guy who played Lazarus, I thought was pretty good. Like he did the crazy over the top. I'm I'm a kooky guy from an antimatter mm-hmm. universe. But then when he was like calm and talking to Kirk and explaining what was going on, suddenly he was like all composed and. It wasn't like they just got some crazy theater actor. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he could do both. Or from the look of his beard, it got a bum from outside the studio. (laughs) Oh, no. Bums have real beards. (laughs) (laughs) Look, they do not wear, like, wispy crepe paper, you know, uh, Shakey's Pizza mustaches. (laughs) The other thing was the way he dressed looked really out of it for the 60s for me. He had, like, a denim jacket. Yeah, you said he looked like someone from the 80s, which, you know. Yeah, in, in, or like maybe the 70s. But, I mean, for the late 60s, that's. Uh, or maybe 1955. Yeah. 1955. <laughs> yeah, he did look like a little ahead of his time fashion-wise, which was kind of odd. Big um, belt buckle. Yeah. Um, when he first appeared, he's walking out of the, the big rocks, and he's got the, the tattered beard and the clo- you know tattered clothes and everything, and I, they do a close-up. I fully expected him to say, it's... <laughs> and he didn't that was that was highly disappointing and, the, and there was one spot where the admiral was uh talking to kirk and, and the admiral was on the view screen and and i swear kirk said what you say <laughs> well there was a there was a main screen turn on like they actually yes. did say that <laughs> and that got us going on a whole riff with that and then, uh, we were looking for it <laughs>
so anything else on this one, or is that uh, is that about covered? That's it for the alternative factor. I believe so. All right, uh, so let's move on to our quotes of the episode. Um, Bob, for uh, you want to set this one up, or um, <laughs> no. <laughs> no? I think it speaks for itself. <laughs> you can't be serious. The thing is virtually made out of stone. Help it, treat it. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. You're a healer. There's a patient. That's an order. <laughs> Very well. <laughs> All right, mine for uh, for errand of mercy. Um, this is this is really kind of an out of context uh, speech, and I really it's only there for the final syllable, which is just a uh, uh, core. He doesn't do a lot of this in the episode, but a little little bit of scenery chewing, a little bit of uh, well, take a look, take a listen, or a look. Not enough to be a military governor, but to govern a population of sheep. Very well, Lieutenant. Round up two hundred more. Yes, sir. Fools! Will I have to kill them all? Do oh, yeah, you fools? Always, uh, <laughs> always enjoy that. <laughs> Are you pretending you heard the clip when you didn't hear the clip? <laughs> yeah, uh, you're you're showing the people how it's done. <laughs> Damn it! Ah, <laughs> uh, what a classic! Oh, if that's what they take out, imagine what they leave in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt, you got one for uh, okay. When um when McCoy first realizes that something's up with Lazarus, you know the wound in his head keeps disappearing and coming back. Uh, he grabs Kirk to show him. And, of course, the wound is back, and Kirk thinks he has nothing to, to talk about. And he lays this douche line on uh, McCoy. Lazarus, you're with me. Bones, by a time, I'd laugh. Yeah, that was, uh... Fuck you, Kirk. And Bones specifically <laughs> says, I'm not joking, Jim. This is not a joke. And at J- that point, yeah. when you're good friends with someone, that should be enough. Yeah. <laughs> if I turn to one of you guys and, and say, look, I'm not kidding, this is real, then, you you, you know... Yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh-huh. Whatever you say, Al. <laughs> Mm-hmm. This okay. joke is pretty elaborate and kind of confusing. <laughs> yeah, I don't really get what the punchline is here, but uh, hey, hey, whatever. All right, <laughs> so uh, how about uh, for in the future, uh, for Devil in the Dark, Bob? In the future, in the future, future. cave-dwelling humans will throw down their phasers and revert to using clubs to attack silicon-based life. Looking forward to that. <laughs> All right, uh, for for me... For Errand of Mercy, in the future, the the technological development of inhabited worlds will be judged on the time-tested Entertainment Weekly Grade School A to F system. (laughs) As they're approaching the the, the planet uh, Organia, uh, Spock refers to it as a D-minus culture. (laughs) (laughs) So Owen Gleiberman gives Organia a D-minus. But an E for effort. Yeah. Uh, Matt, for, uh, for your episode? All right. In the, future, in the future, the spinning newspaper will still be used to quickly relay information to the viewer. And if this information is about the fight between two psychedelic silhouettes, so much the better. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> extra, <nice>. extra. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. This just in. Another boring fight sequence. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we didn't even mention the fact that the guy's name was fucking Lazarus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, the three of us, I, I don't know, halfway through, just started this whole weird little riff about what the title of the episode should have been. <laughs> It's the alternative title. <laughs> because really, the fact that it's not called the Lazarus Factor or the Lazarus <laughs> Incident or something is just kind of surprising to me. And, yep. But then then Bob kind of started pointing out that picking out random lines of dialogue sound very Star Trek also. <laughs> Throats across time, I think, was one that didn't really work. <laughs> but the rest of the ones you found were, uh, were pretty good. Yeah, I was trying to look in the notes and see what they were, and now I've forgotten. That's okay. 
Uh, we're unfortunately hitting our time cap here anyway, but uh, Bob, I definitely uh, want to have you back. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. That was that was awesome to see this again and to uh, you know yuck it up with yes. you, fellows. Yuck, yucking it up <laughs> like yuck, man. All right, so uh, that, that's all for us. Uh, we got uh, it's just back to me and Matt for a little while. Two more episodes next week, and yeah, then sorry, <laughs> and then season one is done. We'll do. We yeah, got a, we got a fun little special thing for you coming up after that, but uh, it's a secret. Shh. All right, that's all for us. See ya. See ya. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is published weekly and is available via iTunes or on the web at postatomichorror.com. This program is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham, and all original material contained herein is their intellectual property unless otherwise noted. All clips and references from Star Trek and related media are used without permission from CBS, Viacom, and or Paramount Pictures. Fair use is assumed for the purposes of review and parody, and the aforementioned co-producers do not receive any form of profit for this effort. Listener feedback can be sent to podcast at postatomichorror.com. An on-air response is guaranteed. 